we find the stresses of infertility in this story. And uh, as we look at Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, not able to conceive, she had the other struggle of having, sharing a husband with another wife. Penina, the other wife, was extremely fertile. And so as a result, Hannah was given less attention and care from her husband and was made fun of by the other wife. She experienced great distress, tears, rejection, loss of appetite. And her husband, Elkanah, was far from sensitive to her plight. He would ask her, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? One time as she cried out to the Lord in prayer, the priest accused her of being drunk. So she suffered much distress. She suffered the scorn and shame of being childless. And as Hannah prayed, seeking God's deliverance from her shame, she found herself degraded. But in all of this, she doesn't seem to become bitter, but rather graciously with a submitted spirit, seeks and trusts God. And so we find her receiving God's blessing. And her response is that she promised her son to God and was faithful to her promise. Let's read the passage. I'm going to be reading the New Living Translation. It's the whole chapter, first chapter of 1 Samuel. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time... Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. 
I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed, stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and, turned, and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. Father, help us to uh, understand and apply properly, Lord, your word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, for you are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Hannah experienced a lot of distress. First of all, of course, was because she was barren. She was living with the burden of not being able to have children. It's kind of interesting in verse 5 that it states that the Lord had given her no children. I think it's one of our biggest struggles as we face this life as Christians. Many times we don't have things that we would like to have. <laughs> things don't go the way that we think they should or other people seem to benefit from. And we do believe that God's in charge. We do believe that He is the one who makes things happen or not happen. And thus, thus it says this in this passage. What do we do with that? It's certainly overwhelming. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. We feel so rejected. And so she did. I imagine that she had questions as to why and, and feelings of failure and disappointment and self-searching as to why she was missing this blessing from God problem was very public as well <laughs> certainly complicated in a greater way because of another wife who was fruitful and this other wife used the opportunity to create more distress for hannah to make her life miserable she taunted her that's what it says in the passage she taunted her 
Her taunting was especially intense when the family went to the tabernacle in Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. She kind of used this whole thing about God not blessing Hannah. Yeah, kind of look at me. I, God's blessing me, but he's not blessing you. I get the portion of meats. You don't. We don't know all the phrases that were used, but we know that it was very, very strong and difficult. It was a difficult time of distress and painful for Hannah. And Penina took advantage as she continued to taunt Hannah. And so she was brought to tears and was so distressed, we're told, that she could not eat. Her physical being was so distressed by her emotional state that it affected her even ability to want to eat. I think we've all experienced that sometime or another. It's interesting how that affects us. The things that maybe we did enjoy, we don't enjoy anymore because life is so, so hard. And certainly we mentioned it before, but it's good to look at again. Her husband's care for her, his love for her was evident, but his words were not the wisest. Guys, we do that sometimes, don't we? We Oh, we'll help this situation. We'll try to fix it. We'll come up with the right words. It's okay. I know. And, and, and what does he say? Uh, you got me. Why are you crying? Why are you so You got me? I, I'm... <laughs> yeah, right, ladies. I mean, you might love us, but that statement, you know, I'm better than many children. I don't think that was what she was thinking. He didn't get it. Yeah. So the anguish, the pain continues. And so she calls out to the Lord, crying bitterly, praying to the Lord in deep anguish. And as she prays, the priest, Eli, sees her, watches her, and what does he do? He accuses her of being drunk. Can you imagine that? In the midst of her seeking God, her spiritual focus, her desire to, to find God's answer for her struggle, here is the religious leadership who should really be encouraging her and helping her through a difficult time saying, you're drunk. Don't bring your wine here. What are you doing? You know, that whole religious situation right there, the whole leadership in the tabernacle at that time was a major mess. Eli was a terrible priest. And his sons, who were told were in charge at that time, Hophni and Phinehas, were awful. You go on and read about them in this whole portion about what's going on, we find that, that they were taking advantage of women sexually as they came to worship. They were stealing food that was brought for worship. And eventually God's anger, God's holiness and justice came to be on them. And they were wiped out. And actually Eli was actually taken from the priesthood as a result of him not dealing rightly with his sons. But they're still in power. Here, here's, here's Hannah wanting to seek the Lord. Hannah serious about the one who looks like 
is outside God's blessing is being damaged by those who are supposed to have God's blessing, it's really a mess. It's really distressing. She was seeking God among ungodly leadership. Even those who should be sensitive to her needs and pray with her and for her were not helpful, but rather accusing. But it's interesting to me that none of these discouraging things, these distressing things, kept Hannah from looking to God. She continued to seek God. She continued to trust God. She continued to look to God. Matter of fact, it seems like they caused her to do more. Isn't that true many times? I mean, if we're really serious about the Lord, we get confused. We get overwhelmed. We get in anguish. But yet we also know in the depths of our heart, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? Kind of like Peter, remember that story where, you know, many were leaving Jesus because of some hard teaching, and Jesus said to the disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter said that, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We see this in our sister Hannah. And so what did she do? She prayed. She prayed, and certainly that's a, an appropriate thing as we're trusting God. We pray, we call out to Him. He tells us to do that. He, he wants us to call out to Him. He wants us to cry out to Him. I've been listening to some of the Psalms as I'm going through this year of reading through the Bible, and, and certainly that's what we find with David over and over again, crying out to God uh, from his struggles in the midst of being sought after by Saul and, and uh, the un, unfairness of life and the challenges of, of things that even come from his own messes. But he cries out to God, encouraging us to do so. And she prays directly to the Lord, not through Eli or her husband, <laughs> for good reason. But she also knew that her relationship with God was personal. And that's true for all of us. It's not that we don't need others to kind of walk with us but certainly ultimately our connection is directly with god himself and she made a vow that if god gave her a son she would give him back to god and she would make it public that he belonged to god by not cutting his hair that was a nazarite vow really and uh, we'll read of others in the scripture but not cutting the hair was saying this one belongs to god and even when accused of being drunk, she said to Eli, I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And so, in that statement of showing that she was sincere, she wasn't drunk, Eli suddenly was convicted with the fact that this woman was real, and he blessed her. And even in the midst of his craziness and, and inappropriate leadership, he does realize that God is at work here. And he blesses her, saying that God will answer her prayers. So Hannah lived out a life of obedient faith, even though she was disappointed. And in it all, we find her following 
God's commands. You know, you notice she goes every time to the tabernacle with the family to worship. She goes to give the sacrifices. I mean, with her discouragement, don't you think it might have been easy for her to stay home? To say, oh, I'm not feeling well. You go. But yet there was something there within her that was very sincere when it came to following the Lord. And she went even though it was painful. I mean, and it certainly was, because Penina kept it painful. <laughs> that was when the most taunting took place. But she still went. She still did what was right in the sight of God, regardless of the difficulty that she was experiencing with others around her. But she went seeking God and seeking Him in ways that He ordained. I, I think sometimes that's a problem we have. You know, we feel disappointed by God, and, and then we kind of give up and we stay away from the things that He's given to us to help us stay close to Him, whether it's reading His Word, whether it's fellowshipping with other believers, you know, whether it's whatever it is that He's called us to do. And then we wonder why it gets worse. We wonder why we seem farther away. That wasn't true of Hannah. She kept seeking. Seeking God when discouraged by others. Eli's false accusation didn't stop her. I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, of course, she didn't have power. She was a woman in a culture that <laughs> said women had no power, no position. But yet, even so, that didn't mean she couldn't have lashed out with her tongue. But she even called the priest who was accusing her wrongly, Sir. And in a way that was not accusatory or defensive, clearly stated her heart. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. It was so real that it even touched this wicked priest. It was so real that he knew that something more was going on here than he had anticipated. That God was at work. And so in his situation, he granted the blessing. And what encouragement, what change this brought to her. It, it says that she started to eat again. She wasn't sad anymore. And she knew that God had spoken and she was believing Him. And so that which she had promised to do, she did. She committed her child to God. She actually did it. And she named him Samuel, which sounds like the Hebrew term for asked of God. So that's what she was meaning. I asked God for this boy, and he belongs to him. And so she brought him to the tabernacle after he was weaned. Uh, we don't know an actual age, probably between two and four years old. Uh, as we see Samuel in the uh, tabernacle area, we realize that he is interacting with Eli, the priest. So he must have probably been four or more at that point. So she had him for a while at home, <laughs> kind of setting the stage, almost like um, Moses' mother, right? When... Uh, she had to put him out because he was going to be killed and then pharaoh's daughter found him 
but she needed somebody to take care of him. And Moses' sister Miriam was there, remember? And she said, I know somebody that could, could do that. <laughs> and so Moses' mother actually had him as a little boy for a while. You know, God's working in all of this is right, isn't it? We don't often see it when we're in the midst of it. But as we look back at these stories, as we look back at our own life and how times when we wondered how we would get through, you know, we, we see, wow, the Lord is there. He was there all along. I just need to keep trusting him. And that's what we find in Hannah. So some principles I want to share with us for today. By the way, guys, it's not just for moms. These are godly principles for all of us, we find in this story with Hannah. First of all, God is at work in the midst of our disappointment. We might not see it. There's a song we sing sort of about that. You know, you probably remember it, uh, Waymaker. It's that song, Waymaker, right? Even when we can't see it, He's working. Even when we don't feel it, He's working. I always love when we sing that. It's just a good reminder of, of the reality that we're facing every day. We might not see it. We might not feel it. But God is still at work. We might be disappointed. We might be distressed. But God is still at work. Hannah could not see how and what God was doing. But she trusted Him. And even when we can't see it, trust Him. Even when we can't feel it, Trust Him. The second principle is that when people fail us, God still hears. Many times there are people in our lives who we think we should trust and should be able to trust who don't always give us the right word. <laughs> I think of times uh, in our family's past when Somebody's been in a very distressed situation. A friend came and kind of accused of a sin in the life that was the problem, which it really wasn't. It was an accusation. It was almost a taunting. All right? But you know, God still hears. Others will taunt us. Others will try to encourage us with words that don't work or accuse us of behavior that's not true. But God will still be there. We need to seek Him. Now, we need to be careful that we don't ignore what others say. God often uses things that people speak into our lives, and, and we need to be open. But it needs to be an openness to Him first. Keep praying. Keep crying out to Him. As someone wrote in a song, tears are a language that God understands. And as we see in Hannah, so it may be true of us, that a life of faith is trusting God no matter what. This is a decision that we need to make when we're not in distress. <laughs> I'm going to trust God no matter what. When I'm tempted not to trust Him, I'm still going to trust Him. Because there will be those temptations. Life is hard. Things come along. But we find in Hannah that she continued on. 
And as I think about the words of Job, who certainly suffered a lot, and he said in the midst of it all, even though he slay me, I will praise him. And the third principle, or the fourth principle, is that the one truly blessed by God can seem to be one cursed by God. Hmm. Not always what it looks to be. I think sometimes that makes our life feel more difficult. If we begin to look around and see others that we think are blessed and we feel like we've missed what they have, it kind of leads us to a deeper spot. It doesn't bring us out. It takes us down further and further. Hannah appeared to be cursed. She couldn't have children. But ultimately, she was the one who God truly blessed. The child she conceived and committed to the Lord was Samuel, who God used to raise up Saul and speak into his life as he fell from his position, and who God used to choose David as Israel's king, who God used to keep Israel on track when they were so much going all over the place. Hannah is clearly the one in this story who is the one blessed of God. And we see God blessing her. If you go into 1 Samuel 2, in verses 19 and 20, we read, Each year, Hannah, his mother, made a small coat for Samuel and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. Kind of interesting in uh, Jewish tradition, in some writings called the mitzvah, which are kind of rabbinical writings, uh, there is a whole section about this situation with Hannah and Penina. And in the mitzvah, it says that justice really did take place because Hannah had more children and Penina's children died. Again, that's tradition. We don't know. But it's a reaction to the fact that God was bringing justice in the midst of situations that seemed unjust. Final point is this, God accomplishes great things through distressed women. What in the world does he mean by that? Let's think about the scriptural record. Let's go back to Abraham and Sarah. Do you think Sarah wanted a child? You bet. Matter of fact, so much so that she offered her concubine to her husband. Ladies, would you do that? No way. <laughs> That's really desperate, yeah. And of course, it didn't work out too good. It was their own solution to what God had promised would happen. But even so, even though Abraham and Sarah messed up, like we all do, God was still at work, right? And he brought about his promise. And at 90 years old, Abraham was 100, they had Isaac. The reason he was named Isaac was, means laughter. Because when Sarah got the news that she was going to have a baby at 90, she laughed. 
I think you probably would too. I'd probably cry, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Woo, see you laugh. There you go. Yeah, so there's, there's an illustration of a distressed woman God used, okay? Because through her came the promised one who ultimately would be leading to all of the patriarchs that eventually lead to the Messiah. And what about uh, Rachel? Remember her? Loved by Jacob. But a similar story. Laban, her father, part of that great family of deceitful people. <laughs> yeah, you talk about messed up families, read all about them, man. Oh, why? I mean, that's like dysfunction with all capital letters. Laban tricked Jacob, right? He worked seven years for Rachel, and he gets Leah. Now, I don't know how that happened to be tricked like that, but it worked. He had it really figured out somehow. Anyway, so, but Leah was able to have children. Jacob works seven more years for Rachel. But she wasn't able to have children. But eventually, she did, right? And who did she have? Joseph. Of course, that story didn't look real good for a long time. I mean, he was sort of a brat. <laughs> but yet he was God's chosen one. And he ended up saving the whole world by taking care of the famine issues under the Pharaoh and bringing his family in and redeeming his brothers who had sold him off to slavery. And she also had Benjamin. And of course we know that from the tribe of Benjamin, we have some very powerful spiritual leaders, ultimately leading to Joseph, the one chosen by God to be the earthly caring father of Jesus from that tribe and went to Bethlehem, remember, to pay taxes and do that, and God worked it all out. God works through distressed women and of course we have uh, elizabeth in the book of luke just before the birth of jesus we have the story of elizabeth and zechariah older not able to have children and amazingly <laughs> they have a son john the baptist the forerunner of the Messiah, identified Jesus even when he was still inside the womb. And of course, Mary. How distressing must that have been? Claiming to everybody else that this child is divinely conceived? Sure, Mary. I'm sure there was a lot of family disdain and cultural rejection and accusation and taunting and all of the things that we read about today. 
in this passage. It's happened over and over again. And in the midst of it all, for those who are God's people, He does something great. Beyond what the circumstances looked like. And that's the principle for us all, isn't it? When we're distressed, when we're in situations that even look like maybe God has not blessed us, but even cursed us, don't believe it. Keep trusting Him, not what others say. And not even what your own heart says sometimes. Because He is faithful. And ultimately, His ends lead to redemption. That's where all this goes to. All of these distressing situations that we talked about, where do they end up? They end up in the Messiah, at the cross, and the empty tomb. The hope for all the world. I believe the Lord's still doing that. I still believe He's working through His people, through situations of distress, through times that are hard. And those who trust Him will find Him faithful. It might not end up like we thought it would, but we will find Him faithful. And He will do a greater work than we could ever have anticipated. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in the midst of the things of this life that uh, are so disappointing and distressing, that you are still at work. Lord, I don't know what that means for every person in this room, but I know we all face those things. And so, Lord, we come, not because we have the answers, not because we're feeling positive, but rather because we are so distressed and overwhelmed and uncertain. But Lord, we come as people of faith. And we have in Your Word the promise that it's by faith, Lord, that we please You. It's by faith that we find the way that we can't see. It's by faith that we continue on with that which matters, even in the midst of discouragement. And it's by faith, Lord, that you work. <laughs> you work out your plan. So Lord, help us. Help us to live by faith and not by sight. Help us to trust you more. Help us to believe you when we can't see and we can't feel. And Lord, we ask you to receive all the glory. We know that you will. May we be rejoicing in that and be an active part in it because we know you want to bless us with that part too. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus in the streets.